There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me! There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. Hey, a movie! We can watch it all develop! Starring everybody and me! We'll take the world! And we are going to start right here. Hello, and welcome to Triple Feature, a premier podcast on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, the Mandated Reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And joining me on this Triple Feature is the one and only prodigal son, Jason Teasley. How do you do, sir? Doing well, doing well. Much better doing this triple feature than our last triple feature, I must say. Uh, I'm glad we're still friends. I'm, more, I'm also glad I didn't get 100 text messages threatening the end of our friendship this time. I was, I yeah. thought that's where, I thought that this, that's where this was going when you started talking about lockdown. I'm like, oh no, not again. Um, we'll get into that, but it did not, <laughs> je- it, it did not jeopardize our friendship. Well, uh, if you're just listening. But you can uh, obviously you can see on the uh, on the, the picture included with the podcast, or maybe you can't. Who the hell knows? Tonight's triple feature: we are talking about the Kevin Hart movie Fatherhood that was on Netflix, the Eliza Schlesinger movie Good on Paper, and um, a movie that streamed on HBO Max directly back in January with Anne Hathaway and Ishwitwo. I can never pronounce yeah, this guy's name that, right. Bar- Baron guy. Mordo. Uh, Chuetel Ijafor. Uh, locked down. And that's actually where we're going to start tonight. Now, because uh, initially, Jason, this all came about because you pitched wanting to do fatherhood. What made you, just real quick, like what made you want to talk about fatherhood? Oh, well, I'm a Kevin Hart fan. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of his movies and his uh, stand-up. And, you know, I thought, you know, with us both being fathers seeing those struggles um we both have daughters and seeing those struggles that a dad goes through with having being a girl dad i thought it would kind of resonate with me and you a little bit more than most topics that we tackle and we could actually be serious for a moment okay um well that what's that's what launched the whole idea of doing this triple feature tonight because you, you pitched that one i mean i'm like okay well that that doesn't need a whole hour um so what, what else are we going to talk about and there had and I had actually seen on the list of movies that Elijah Schlesinger had a movie that she wrote that was actually, I, I didn't even realize this at the time, was based on something that really happened to her that she then turned into one of her comedy routines and it became the impetus for this movie, Good on Paper. I am a huge Eliza Schlesinger fan. I found her I, I found her comedy on Spotify and I started sharing it with my wife and now my wife do like the whole jacket, jacket, you know, <laughs> pumpkin spice everything. You know, the whole bit. We both find her very, very the funny. Goblin. Yeah, the, the, the party the goblin. Yeah, that's right. Four I mean, ways, no meatball four ways, no homo. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we're huge fans of her. And I was like, oh, sh- cool that she's got her own movie on Netflix. I'm going to I'm gonna want to see this. And so that we actually watched that last night. And then Lockdown had been on my list for a while now. I just won that because of everything else we're doing one I never got to. So I was like, all right, well, this is the perfect opportunity for me to shove it into one of these triple features. Um, And that's where you wanted to start tonight, Jason. You actually wanted to start with lockdown and work our way towards fatherhood, which throws off my art, by the way. I I, I started, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. And, uh, you know, and you want to go the exact opposite way. Well, because, you know, you, you build, it's, it's a traumatic build. It's, it's, you know, you want to build up to your main event. You want to start with, you want to start with the, the low, the undercard, mm-hmm. go to your, then go to your co-main and then mm-hmm. finish with your main, you know, you're a wrestling fan. Uh, come on. You know, Vince, Vince McMahon would never uh, book this backwards. You know, he would never, well, unless it's Saturday night's main event <laughs> and then he would put Hogan on. Uh, first, first because <laughs> because he wants people to you know after they see Hogan they knows they're going to tune out but we want people to stick around and enjoy the show much more than I did lockdown yeah I was gonna <laughs> say you didn't love lockdown um let's go ahead and talk about that real quick all right so let's get into the 
um, the plot here of this thing. So again, this stars Anne Hathaway and I'm on the wrong thing. Um, Shuatel Ijofor. I'm no, I'm massacring that poor man's name. Um, it also has Ben Kingsley in it. Paxton and Linda are a disgruntled couple living in London and amid the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown. Paxton is able to get only jobs as a delivery truck driver due to an assault arrest 10 years prior and is upset about how his life has turned out. Due to stores being shut down, there are limited amounts of drivers available for high-value deliveries. So Paxton's boss reaches out and asks him to make runs under a false identity for him. Linda, who is a CEO at a fashion company, is tasked with clearing out inventory at the nearby Harrods department store. She soon realizes their delivery schedules at the store overlap, and Paxton would not get past the security checkpoint Linda has set up. Linda discloses that there's a three million pound diamond in the vault at Harrods that has been sold to an anonymous buyer, and the store keeps a duplicate on location. She and Paxton agree to take the real-life diamond for themselves and send the fake one to the buyer in New York City, splitting the sales between themselves and the National Health Service. Upon making it to the store, Linda and Paxton retrieve the diamond and swap it out with the fake. However, they are confronted by Donald, a former co-worker of Linda's, she told, was fired earlier this week. Donald had called the police after learning of Paxton's fake identity. Linda reveals their plan, and Donald agrees to lie for them. Very conveniently. Paxton and Linda, who originally planned to go their separate ways, decide to reevaluate their relationship. Then the COVID lockdown is extended by another two weeks. Okay, Jason, you didn't love this. I didn't. Um, I, I thought this movie suffered from identity crisis. It, it started out, uh, the premise of it started out real good. And mm -hmm. then, then I lost it when it wanted to go all Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> like, I, and, and, you know, I... I thought it was good because it did tackle, you know, everything, uh, something we all in this world have went through, and it's the pandemic, and, you know, how it affected our lives, how it affected our jobs, and our relationships, because, you know, being hoarded up with somebody under lockdown like that really tests a relationship. Trust me, I know this. My wife has threatened me many times. Um, how long had you been married when the lockdown started? Uh, I got married actually in what is today the the fifteenth. Uh, in eleven days, I will be celebrating my fourth wedding anniversary. Oh, okay, uh, so you've been together a while then. Yes, yes, but I, I still, but also you know having a teenage daughter with a wife. Oh no, I I get it. Like <laughs> I, I just I just wasn't sure how long you guys had been together when um, when the yeah. pandemic started. I mean, I was I've been with my wife you know, 10, 10 years now, I have a, uh, more than that, actually, I have a 10 year old daughter and a seven year old son, but I, you know, so it's, it's not a matter of like, did, did I not understand yeah. your pain? I do. Um, you know, I agree with you. I think I, I was interested in this movie because it was the idea of like, what if it's a heist movie, but it's a heist movie in the middle of the pandemic and how would, what would that look like and how would that affect people? And it's a very, and you're right about it. It's a, it kind of has an identity crisis because on the one hand, it's very much like a stage play that you know centered around what the pandemic does to us psychologically what it does to us emotionally because you have Anne Hathaway who when you know we, we meet her and her husband Paxton um you know the they're they're both depressed you know like a lot of people were during that time they're both feeling listless that you know they're feeling claustrophobic and you learn you come to find out over the course of the movie that they were already having problems well before that and so that's what i mean like it's structured like a stage play it is it is very dialogue driven and i think as as sort of a comment on what the what the pandemic and, and the lockdown did to people psychologically i think the film works but the whole hook of the movie is that there's a heist that's going to happen and i and i and i don't think you're wrong about like I like the premise of what if there's a heist in the middle of all of this? And I thought there'd be more of that than there was. Yeah. When we finally get to the heist, though, it is the lamest thing ever. <laughs> like when you watch, like you brought up Ocean's Eleven. When you see when you see them actually execute the heist in Ocean's Eleven, there's so much like fun tension and stuff that that goes on, and so you know, and so much drama and everything that like you're really into it. Or like. Um, you know, I was gonna. Think, I was thinking like the the recent Dave Batista Zack Snyder movie, but now uh, that I think back Army on that, I'm like, yeah, Army of the Dead. Um, and I'm thinking, I, I was like, eh, 
I don't even know if that heist was was that great. But anyway, my point being that the heist here is them walking through this this empty department store, and there's a lot of arguing over whether or not they're actually going to do it. That's kind of the whole thing. And then they get caught, and the guy's like, yeah, life sucks right now. Go ahead and steal. I don't care. Well, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta preference a little bit for that because Anne Hathaway's character had to fire this guy, mm-hmm. and it was, and he's the one, and you know, it, it's basically a big corporate store, and he's like, "Fuck the big corporate, corporate <laughs> machine." And that's why he doesn't care. But it's also you. Then they try to. It, it gets convoluted because then it's like the reason why that everything. You know that factors in getting called as well is how they know he's got a fake name, is because the guy he works with hates him. And right. It's like, and went out of his way to get make sure he got caught. Yeah, and it's like, eh, well, I mean, it's got a good premise. I mean, it's got a good uh, structure, bones, bare bones structure idea, but the execution was, you know, I, I felt that they would have had them introduce this earlier on in the movie and just had them bickering throughout as if they're going to do it or not. And then build the tension up to them actually doing it. I thought it was, it would have been a a lot better movie, but it's like you build up just the relationship between them, you know, the struggles they have, you know, the way their life used to be. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, um, well, since the matter of convenience (laughs) or this happens, I'm going to help you, but we're going to steal this this expensive diamond. And it's like, you know, the the leap she takes from being the CEO to a jewelry thief is very quick. <laughs> well, it's funny because, see, I, I disagree with that only because you do see thing you 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 see things kind of crumbling around her as the movie progresses. Um, she has that scene in the beginning where she has to fire everybody on the call. Um, there's a whole bunch of her scenes like bickering with Paxton. There's the whole thing she does about smoking, which then leads to her being promoted. And this, because the thing with the smoking was, well, I'm taking stock of my life. And I think even when lockdown's over, I don't want to do this anymore. I feel like, I've lost sight of who I am and the person I've become I don't love. So I need to I need to make some changes. I need to get rid of Paxton. I need to get rid of this job. I need to go do something else. And then she gets promoted. And it's like she just has this like realization that nothing matters. And you know, and and I think she's looking for a way out. And then he tells her about the delivery job, and it and you know, she, she has this moment of clarity where it's like, hey, wait a minute, you're gonna get caught. We have this diamond. There's a way out of this for all of us. If we just steal the diamond, then I don't have to take this promotion anymore. And you don't have to worry about getting caught and we can get away and it'll be fine. So I kind of saw the progression there. But here's what I will say is wrong with this movie for sure. It is way too long. Yes. Hey, this is a two hour some odd movie. And it uses every bit of that two hours to get to anything like good because it because it had this just been an examination of what the lockdown does to people okay but i i got that real quick and it, it was almost like it was two different movies happening and you yeah. don't get to the good movie until the very end of the last 20 minutes and even then like it take like it takes forever for them to execute the uh the to execute the the, the theft the high and it's yeah and it's so much talking. Oh, like I don't mind a talky film, but like there were parts of this movie where I felt like they were like endlessly monologuing. Yeah, and and they could have took they could have got to the point a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. I I think they could have used the show don't tell aspect mm-hmm. rather than. A lot of exposition dumps. Dude, Ben Kingsley's half of what he says is unintelligible. And like I know that's that's part of it is a lot of this was shot like on Zoom and shit. And that, that was part of the aesthetic that was that was part of what you know 
the hook on this movie. But like we've done we being being people who like podcast who stream yard and everything else, there are times we don't hear each other either. Like I get all that. Like that is a reality of the world we live in currently with uh, telecommunications. But but they also gave him this really like up its own ass dialogue to where like you not only can't hear him half of what you're saying you wouldn't understand anyway. And it's kind of funny because when you can understand him and he's basically like trying to push Paxton into doing, you know, into doing something he clearly does not want to do. Um, and Ben Kings is a great performer and everything, but yeah, his, some of this was a little hard to watch at times. Yeah. I mean, uh, now, like I said, I mean, this wasn't my favorite out of the three, but this mm -hmm. was, this didn't threaten our friendship. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was mildly entertained. Mm-hmm. Because it was one of those movies, you know, me and the wife watched it together. And, like, there was times, I mean, it was just like, like you said, it just drug out stuff. And we're like, oh, my God, why? Just get to the point. <laughs> All right. Um, so my wife asked me what I thought of this. And, and, and this is my kind of, you know, my uh, one-liner Rotten Tomatoes review. If cut 30 minutes and get to the heist faster and make the heist a little bit more dynamic, I think you have a really good movie here. As it stands, it's too long. They stay too long on the same like elements and they don't focus on the thing that you really like when, when you when someone elevator pitches you lockdown, you're like, oh, that's fun. A heist in the middle of, uh, of a pandemic. OK, what are we going to do with this? And like. You just by the time you get there, you're like, oh my god, I just want this movie to end. <laughs> so yes, none. I can see why. I, I was reading up on this earlier. I think this one, the critical reception was, uh, yeah, forty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes with an average of five point one out of ten. Um, and I think Metacritic was forty two out of a hundred. So yeah, this was kind of a fifty fifty film, and I can definitely see why. All right, you want to move on to good on paper. Yes, please. I, I mean, we now let's get to the two better movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would have words with you, sir. My wife and I did not love Good on Paper. I'll be honest with you, but we'll we'll talk really? about it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, this is Elijah Schlesinger, um, Ryan Hansen, Margaret Cho, Rebecca Rittenhouse. Andrea Singer is a stand-up comedian and a struggling, aspiring actress. At the airport on the way home from an audition, Andrea meets Dennis Kelly when he returns her missing boarding pass. On the flight, Andrea finds herself sitting next to Dennis, who tells her he's a Yale graduate who works in hedge funds. They hit it off and begin hanging out together in Los Angeles. Dennis helps Andrea prepare for auditions, and they become good friends. Dennis grows attached to Andrea and asks for her... Uh, for a relationship, but she rejects him. One night, Dennis gets Andrea to spend time with him under false pretenses. They get high and go out, hooking up at the end of the night. In the morning, Andrea agrees to be his girlfriend. As Andrea and Dennis get closer, she and her friend Margot uh, start to question if he is all that he claims. Andrea learns Dennis has lied about his house, his sick mother, his job, and his college education. In an attempt to get even, Margot gets Dennis drunk and he passes out. Margot and Andrea accidentally injure Dennis and Andrea confronts him for his lying. Andrea later learns that Dennis has taken her to court for kidnapping him. After confronting him again, she is given a restraining order and more fodder for her stand-up routine. All righty. So let me go ahead and say, um, of all the things she could have made a comedy, you know, of all of her comedy routines, she could have made a movie out of. I <laughs> this was not her not her strongest bit of uh, her com strongest bit of comedy. I didn't realize that this actually happened to her. Apparently. Um, she actually dated a guy that she didn't know was lying to her the entire time they were in the relationship until you know she found out and broke up with him. So here's the thing about this. Um, that's not what I thought this was when I and I guess I didn't read that much about it um, before I went into it. So like I saw good on paper and I saw Elijah Schlesinger. I'm like, oh, like I, that was all I needed. And I was sitting down and we're watching this thing, and I'm thinking like the whole like if you've ever heard the phrase good on paper. You know, like, here's the guy, you know, it, it, the girl's not attracted to the guy, but he clicks all the other right boxes. So he's good on paper. Right. That's what that's how that phrase is normally used. Like, like, you know, he'll take care. He'll he'll pay the mortgage. He'll he'll have the health insurance. He will you know do all the things you're supposed to do as as a spouse. 
So women will will go for that. They'll they'll, they'll kind of get over the, the the physical attraction part of it. Um, that's so that's kind of what I thought this was. When it turns out like she's just like the victim of a con, I'm like, oh, this is stupid. And <laughs> see, I, I I liked it. Uh, okay, this is this is a this is a, one of those odd things that I actually enjoyed a movie more than you. This is interesting. <laughs> I um first of all I don't think her like Elijah Schlesinger is a very likable comedian I think and I don't think her character in this movie was particularly likable like she goes out of her way to say that she's not physically attracted to him and they make a big deal of like his dad bod and everything um and then and then he lies to her about the sick mom and she falls for it and she ends up like dating him anyway and it's this is the i remember like there's a there's a some point where she just she said something that i thought was so ass and i actually yelled at the television <laughs> <laughs> there was a part where she was something i can't remember what it is now but it was but i remember saying like i remember calling her an asshole because i feel <laughs> i feel like she oh, i don't know tell me why you like this movie like organize my thoughts. I, I I liked it simply because well I I like her as a comedian. I think she's a great comedian. Mm -hmm. uh, I watch uh, you know I discovered her randomly uh, drunk one night on Netflix, uh, and that's how I I came across her comedy. And I you know I just kind of like the elder millennial type deal, which mm -hmm. I joke around with my wife about. And my wife started in watching her comedy specials with me, and you know she likes her, but. I like this because this is, I, I mean, this was real life. I mean, you see this, really? you see this all the time. People put up a facade to get somebody out of their league and it goes on forever. I mean, I've, I can personally say that I've been a victim of this. It's been, I, I dated a girl who, you know, we wasn't, we lived like 45 minutes away from each other. You know, and we we went out and stuff, but it was always her coming to see me. Um, you know, she she had this extravagant lifestyle that facade that she put up, and I was just me. And I mean, she was she was she wasn't like fugly, like you know, double bag, double triple bag, one over mine, one over hers, and one over the dog. So it still respects me in the morning, ugly. But I mean. She she was average, but she made herself to be a a, a bigger deal than what she actually was. Uh, okay. She made she made her job to be more thing. Uh, came to find come to find out that you know yeah she had all this money, but she was actually she actually had stolen two of her mom's credit cards, and that's how she was able to buy everything that she was flaunting, and it. And it went on for like six months. And I was like, and then she got caught up in it because something happened and I had to go where she lived to a hospital there. And she happened to know that I was in town and she came to visit and we ended up running into her brother at the hospital. And he knew absolutely nothing about me and then totally blasted her. And it was like, okay. But you see this all the time. You see people. Uh, this is what what social media is about. You you see people present themselves as something that they're not. Just yeah, to I, I'm get okay with that. Part like of it. I, I'm okay with that part of it. But him lying to her because he thinks she's out of his league, and and to get a pretty blonde girl to, to pay attention to you, you have to you have to show you have money. You know, you you have to you have to do the things that ugly men to get women. I, I, I really do get that. I think where I where the movie loses me is how long she let... Like, there are some obvious things that happen in the movie to where, like, how are you buying into his yeah. crap? And I feel like she only is buying into it so the movie can happen. Like, you can't be that stupid. Well, I also think that this may have been a uh, studio casualty. Uh, I think that the movie... What the movie was supposed to be and what the studio wanted it to be, mm -hmm. two, two separate things. I think the vision was uh, was rewritten from the actual 
mm-hmm. what actually happened. And then the studio was like, "Well, if you want to, if you want to get this movie made, here's the changes you need to do." And you know, of course, you know, she's noted for her stand-up, not really her acting career. She's right. going to take that opportunity to get her movie made. And sure. I think it was a lot of self-sacrifice to get the movie made and a lot of st- studio rewriting that caused this because it's like the, um, the right before they went to Santa Monica or Santa mm-hmm. Barbara, like that, that whole interaction was like, why would you believe anything? Yeah. It's like, why would you believe anything and go? And it's like, okay, yeah, this is just to move the movie along. I, I, this makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, there are things that, like, you talk about the trip that they do to Santa or wherever they go, you know, and every time they mentioned Yale, he was just repeating what the person before him had said. And then he had talked about, like, oh, when I was at Yale, I just did a lot of golfing and drinking. So she buys a round of golf. And he can't, you know, and then because he knows he can't golf, he fakes an injury. I'm like, come on. <laughs> like, I, I understand you don't, if there's an argument to be made about, you will allow yourself to believe things you know in your, in your mind are not really true because you don't want to admit how dumb you are, you know, or how taken advantage of you were. Like, okay, but that'll only extend so far. At some point... I don't want to say she's asking for it, but when you when you let it go to a point where you're either too dumb for your own good or you're so willingly blind that you're allowing this to continue, I, I just, like, you start to lose... This character should have been sympathetic, and this character loses that kind of sympathy about halfway through the movie. And I think it was shortly after that scene. Like, I, it was... There was something that she's. I'm trying to. I can't remember what the exact line of dialogue is, but I remember it was the bit. She said something in the street around the time that I think that she rent that she talk ends up talking to the uh, his roommates, and you know, and 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 the way she phrases something, it's as almost like she's blameless, and I'm like, you're not though. And she talked. <laughs> she started talking about. If I remember correctly, she started talking about like if you had only been honest. You know, I might have liked you anyway. And I was like, you won't. You said you didn't, though. You yeah. said the guy. I'm not attracted to this guy, and you only became attracted to him because. And, and I and I do know that this happens with some women. You know, it's like a Florence Nightingale kind of a thing, where they will overlook a lot of other elements to attraction because they they feel sorry for you or feel bad for you or. Have like a you know like did that mothering nurturing thing takes over and they they mistake that for love and so it's like he he somehow played on her sympathies and that somehow clouded the rest of her judgment and it's like that's okay but I'm not I'm still not sympathetic towards your plight here you you know that works in a, that if they if it had been like a one night stand because they had also done drugs I'm more forgiving of that she had this like month long relationship with this guy. That's and, utterly unbelievable. And you got to also take a look at it this way too. I mean, she's not she's not the best character. She doesn't come off as like the the best person because she knows that he has feelings for her, mm-hmm. and she just keeps lending them on and using him as a safety net to basically feed her ego. And that's what I got. I mean, I don't. I think it was kind of, I think both of them came off as shitty people in the end. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, when you look back at it, it was like she told him she had no attraction to him or anything, just wanted to be friends. But then she continued to lead him on. So it's <laughs> like, it's like, okay, you know, you're sending mixed signals, and a lot of guys can relate to that. They have a female friend that, you know, they see it's strictly a friend, and then that friend will cross that boundary, make a comment, make a move, drunken things happen, and then it changes the dynamic of the whole relationship, whether you can't just go back to being friends, and then if you try, then you still have a lot of a lot of mixed signals being given on both parties. 
So it's funny, you were talking about how like this feels like this might have been rewritten uh, from studio notes and this wasn't quite maybe what she had intentioned when she, you know, when she pitched this story. If you look at the poster, it says, if he checks all your boxes, check again. Again, I feel like she the, the, the story she wanted to tell was that the, the guy actually, the guy turns out he's, per, you know, she thinks is perfect. See, that's the other thing about it is, and, and I think that's what I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on. At no point in this movie did she say this guy was who she was looking for. She liked hanging out with him. And you're right. She fed her ego. You know, he was the perfect friend zone friend, right? Yes. And that's all she wanted from him, which is not my understanding of good on paper. Like, I, I think about, like, my wife has a lot of waspy friends. You know, she she grew up in, in kind of a rich part of Tampa, and there was definitely a lot of women that she knew that married the guy that was going to take care of them. That that right. you know, in her, you know, and so those are the good on paper guys. And so, and had the movie been, you know, like, you know, she fell in love with this guy um, for all the wrong reasons, and those reasons turned out to be bogus. Okay. Now I understand if he checks all your boxes, check again. You know, too good to be true. That's not even the story that she told here. This homely-looking fella who she liked hanging out with, who she felt bad for one night, and she let feeling bad for him turn into this relationship, and then despite 900 red flags all in a row in close proximity to each other, chose to actively ignore them. Uh, Like, come on, man. I think if they would have switched the guy out, to somebody mm-hmm. that was physically appealing and mm-hmm. he just turned out to have be living a a lie. Yeah. So you know that he, he checks all the physical aspects and then he turns out to be this really scummy guy. Mm-hmm. I think this movie would have worked a lot better. Here's what I'll say in defense of her character in the movie. She does have like um she does have this moment with uh, Rebecca Rittenhouse where she's like it's not you I'm mad at. I'm really mad at myself. Yeah, blah, blah, yakety, schmackety. Like, that's a really nice moment in the movie. I liked I liked her interaction with her there. I liked her kind of his admission that, you know, they, they have this moment where they're jealous of each other and they admit that, you know, and they, you know, now they're good friends after being kind of adversarial. Like, okay, that's all, that's fine. You know, the stuff with Margaret Show, she got a little grating after a while and I'm not I'm a huge fan of her comedy. Like, I haven't, I haven't watched a Margaret Show stand-up comedy routine in like a decade. <laughs> the last thing I remember her saying was the joke about fucking chinos. And she's like, I don't know if you're racist or really fashion conscious. Um, <laughs> which I thought was, which I always think is hilarious. It's like the one Margaret Cho joke I can remember. Um, she starts off kind of funny and, and here and, you know, after a while, I found her character to be kind of grating. Uh, I'll give you the last word on this, Jason. Um, since you, like I said, my wife and I both wished it had been better. I think this is one of those cases where we were expecting more and it didn't yeah. hit that level. And then it also, like, how long was this one? Um, this one was the nine. Gosh, this was only 90 minutes and it still felt okay. two hours. Ugh. Now, <laughs> I, now, like I said, I mean, we, two, two closing points. One, I want to know who the other, other chick was in reference to uh, that. That had me trying to guess that throughout the entire Entire movie and that kind of side derailed, uh, derailed me a lot of times because I was like, "Who is this?" Because you know it was based on her, her real life. So I was, I kept wondering who, who the quote unquote rival was and trying to figure that out. But I went into this, I didn't go into this. I went in having lowered expectations, but. Not like okay, this is going to be great. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that was the problem. I was like okay. I, I really expected this to be better than it was. Yeah, well, since you suggested it, you know, I have to curb my um, <laughs> my um, <laughs> my ex- expectations when you suggest a movie. I mean, you know, that's that's why I, you know, like locked up, you know. Dialed it back, didn't hate it, you know, because I had that low expect. It was a very low bar to clear. This would a little higher bar, barely cleared it. So I was like, I don't hate it. It's we're still friends after this. 
But I think this movie could have been better, yes. I mean, you know, we sit here and critique movies all the time, how they could be better. We mm-hmm. Monday morning quarterback a lot of stuff. Sure. But but I think, like I said, I think this was more of a studio intervention movie mm-hmm. than her original vision. And I think it was just a, if I want to get this movie made, I have to... I have to be submissive to the studio to get it made. And I think that's what happened here. I'd be curious to see how, how many people watch this on Netflix, because I'll tell you, this was originally scheduled for a theatrical release from Universal. Ugh. And yeah, like I don't see even in like a healthy movie market, this where this would have made any money. What, like, do this, you would think have bombed, that, this would have bombed hard. Do you think this was trying to, you know, just real quick, do you think this was trying to capitalize on the succession of Trainwreck? Yes, I think they're they're real similar. I was gonna say I think this got made because Amy Schumacher was a thing for five minutes, and they were like, "Oh, okay, you're less crass, slightly brighter version of Amy, (laughs) more attractive version of Amy Schumacher, not fat version of Amy Schumacher." So I, I, you know, so I'm sure when she came in with her elevator pitch, they're they're looking at her and they're like, "Okay, train wreck did well." And you're yeah. better than Amy Schumacher. Yeah, let's go ahead and make your stupid movie too. And then the pandemic hits and it ends up on Netflix. And she's probably and they probably saved themselves a lot of embarrassment here. Um, this thing uh the reception was 53 based on 32 with an average of five over ten. Um Metacritic is 54. So yeah, this was another fan of Midland. People didn't love yeah. it, they didn't hate it, it was just kind of meh. In your words, it was fine. Sure. All right. Let's talk about, let's go to the main event here. The Hogan Savage of this thing. The one that you're excited to talk about. Here we go. This is Fatherhood starring Kevin Hart, which is based on the uh, memoir, Two Kisses for Maddie, a memoir of loss and love by Matthew Logalin. Matthew Logalin's wife, Liz, passes away after an unexpected early cesarean section delivery of their daughter, followed by a pulmonary embolism. At her funeral are him with his best friends, Jordan and Oscar, and his mother, Anna, as well as Liz's parents, Marion and Mike. Matt is now a single father to infant daughter, Maddie. For the first few months, caring for Maddie are rough, especially after both Matt and Liz's parents have gone home. But he manages to raise her alone. After some years, Maddie, who is about five years old, gets enrolled in a private school. Matt takes Maddie to the park for a birthday where he meets a woman named Lizzie, otherwise known as Swan, there because Oscar and his wife Rose want to set them up. Matt and Lizzie later agree to go out and they have a good time together. Matt introduces Maddie to Lizzie and they instantly like each other. At school, the boys tease Maddie for what she's wearing. She jumps off to tackle one of them but gashes her forehead open. I regret nothing. Ah! The school tries to reach Matt but he eventually checks his phone and rushes to the hospital. He tries to take Maddie away, but they insist that she needs stitches. Matt wants to decline as the same hospital where Liz died, and he doesn't trust the doctors there. Well, that was the most resonant part of this movie for me, by the way. But he relents and lets them work. Feeling as if he neglected Maddie, Matt breaks it off with Lizzie. Um, eh. All right, and moving on. Um, I'm still doing the plot synopsis here. Uh, at work, Howard tells Manny that he wants to send him to Croatia for a job. He takes Manny to spend time with her grandparents. Matt later sees that Marion wants Manny to stay with them long term, which Maddie seems more open to. Marion makes him feel as if he's making too many mistakes on his own with her, and he tries to make Maddie take Maddie to go, even though she wants to stay with Liz's parents. Matt then thinks he isn't making Matt Maddie happy, so he agrees to let her stay for now. While Maddie sleeps, he expresses to her his fears about raising her on his own. Matt returns home alone and is later told at work by Howard that he is retiring and recommending him for his old job. He is thankful, even though his means this means that he might be seeing Maddie even less. Even Jordan and Oscar see that her absence is making Matt feel worse. While going through her room, he finds the necklace of Liz's Maddie had been desperately searching for earlier. When Matt and Oscar are in the airport to head to Croatia for the job, he can't stop thinking about Maddie and decides to bail on the trip to return to her. She hugs her dad and gives her the necklace. When it is time to go, he bids farewell to Marion and Mike, the former tearing up as she mentions how happy Matt made Liz. 
Matt and Maddie then go to Lizzie's where he apologizes. She forgives him and agrees to join him and Maddie for ice cream. During the credits, Matt brings Maddie back to school where they are allowing her to wear jeans and she shows up in a skirt to make her feel better. All right, man. So you uh, wanted to talk about this. So I'm going to go ahead and see the floor to you. Go ahead. Uh, this movie, this movie hit, hit me in the fields on, on a lot of levels, uh, especially this week dealing with some stuff with my 14 year old daughter that created chaos and made me question if I'm being a good dad, if I'm be, if I'm doing, making the right decisions. So this one kind of had, had an extra gravitas on it when I was watching it. Um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a very emotional person, um, but I teared up a couple of times because like I said, a lot of these things that happen in this movie when he's questioning himself, if he's doing the right thing, if he's doing right by his daughter, I did just this week. Um, you know, the whole self-doubt, you know, do you have your kids' best interests at heart? Are you making the right decisions? You just want, you want to be great. Um, also, it hit me on the level of, you know, the in-laws wanting to intervene and constantly be the savior and just adding that extra pressure of doubting everything you do. Uh, and, and so that kind of hit home. This was Kevin Hart being serious and I, and I don't hate it. Uh, this was, I, I think this was a real good movie for him to show that, you know, yeah, he's the funny guy. He's the, he's got jokes. He could do, uh, you know, make you laugh. He's got great stand up, but he's got a serious side to him and he can, carry the weight of a movie such as this because he comes off as a really great sympathetic father that you know girl dads can relate to especially the whole the scene that really resonated for me is when he busts into the to the um the the circle of women and they go this is for new mothers and he goes no it says parents he said, I don't, know I, I, don't know how, I don't know how to collapse the stroller. I don't know how to collapse the stroller. He said, yeah, and, I get and, that. You know, and, and, and it points out that, you know, and everybody's doubting that, you know, if Liz, his wife that passed, would be better off raising the kid as a single mother than he is as a single father. Well, he and, has that. that uh, he has a, he said a couple of times, and I'm actually curious yeah. if you were to touch on this or not, that basically he was like, he, that he wishes that he had died instead of her and inherent in that is his own lack of self-worth having grown up, not without a father. Yeah. And it's, and it makes you take a look that, you know, there are single dads out there that are just as great parents as single moms. You know, I was raised by a single mom. My biological dad died, committed suicide when I was three years old. My mother raised me and my brother uh, pretty much by herself with the help of my grandmother. Um, but so I, I know the, the single thing and people like add this heaping amount of praise as they should on a single mother. But you don't give the same praise if it's a single father because you don't typically see it often. But when you do. They always have something. It's always backhanded comments, you know, and stuff like that. So I resonated with this because being a girl dad, you do question yourself. Being and, a dad, I don't think it matters what gender the child is. Well, I, I relate because, you know, based, like I said, the events of this past week, mm -hmm. as well as, you know, I, I'm a, I came into a relationship six years ago. Well, five years ago. I wasn't ready to be a dad. I, I, I mean, I wasn't. I didn't know if I would ever be. I, I took on being a dad to a nine-year-old who I thought I would be, you know, I, there would be growing pains, and I thought I got past that, and I didn't. Their teenage years will be the death of me. Trust me, the teenage years will be the death of me. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't mean because I doubt myself as a parent that I love my daughter any less. And mm -hmm. I, I I I do things because I love her, and I do it with her best interest. 
sometimes I don't go about it the way that I should. I, that or I think that I should. I think I'm doing right, but other people looking from the outside think I'm going about it the wrong way, and there's criticism there. So this movie hit home. It it, it hit me in my feels. I loved it. This is why I picked it because any parent can relate to this on every level. The struggles of having a kid and raising them. And like, you know, the constant crying, which I never, I had my prepackaged. She was already potty trained. Okay. Well, uh, I did go through that. So I mean, okay. Yeah. And like I said, I chose this because you're also a parent. You, you got two kids. <laughs> You've went through this twice. <laughs> yep. And I'm sure that there's some things you've seen in this that you could relate to and be like, yeah, I remember that. I yeah. Remember, I remember this. So a couple of things. Um, it's an adaptation of a memoir. I mean, it, uh, you know, so I, I think this also did not get rave reviews. I think this was also sort of a 50-50 thing. And um, where I think it works is, you know, Kevin Hart uh, absolutely does well in a dramatic role. I think he he brings he brings the levity the levity of his comedy to a character that really need needs some sympathy. I mean, this isn't like a classic drama. It needed to be it needed to be funny at times. Um to be for it to be relatable. And I think Kevin Hart did a really really good job of that. You know, he definitely is in the you know that that line of comedians that is able to handle clearly able to handle drama and comedy very well like a like a um uh, Adam Sandler or uh, what's his face, uh, Ace Ventura, help me. Um, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, yeah. You know they were able to swing back and forth between comedy and drama really well, and so you know I don't, Kevin Hart doesn't get a lot of opportunities for drama, so I'm glad he got this movie. I think this is going to be a groundbreaking role for him. Um, I mean, the story itself I think is relatable to a degree, um, more so for you than I think for me. I I. I'm grateful to have had both my parents in my life for what that's worth. Um, and I, and I, yeah, and you're right. I've had, you know, from, from birth to now I've had, you know, I've had two, two children. So some of the stuff that he, like I keyed into that lack of self-worth because I've had my own struggles with that, but not necessarily, to the point where I wished I had died and somebody else had lived. That one's a little bit beyond me. I could see where the character was coming from, and I can certainly understand how people might feel that way. But I was, but that that for me was like, okay, I don't totally relate to that. Um, you know, the idea, and and, uh, and I'll say this: he has a lot of self doubt as a dad. And on the one hand, while I can relate to that, because like nobody, I had two sets of two sets of parents. You know, I have my in laws. And I have my parents, and they were there if I had questions, and they certainly had advice to give, whether it was warranted or not, um, or asked for, rather or not. But the reality is, is when they they leave the house eventually, you know, yeah. when when we brought Lily, who was my ten year old daughter, home from the hospital, I can remember like my parents were here and doing. It was a very busy household. My parents were here. My in laws were here. My brother in law was here. It just it just seemed like mayhem. And I remember like all the women were in my daughter's room and they were trying to get the milk machine to work. And I went in there to see what was going on. And my wife just looks at me and she's got the baby and she's got the thing and she's like, I'm covered in milk. You know? <laughs> um, so like I remember all of that, but they all left eventually. And when I point I'm gonna get to is you're just there with the baby at that point. And it's just, you know, and the and my wife's like dead asleep. So there were moments where it was just me and Lily chilling out. And there's nobody there to, to sort of tell you, like, what do you do next? What do you do with this potted plant once you once you've got it? You know, and you yeah. just sort of make it up as you go along. And I guess the point that I'm getting to is were there moments where I was like, huh, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here? Sure. I think we all go through that as parents, but more often than not, believe it or not, I thought I was going to be a good dad. I strove to be a good dad, and I was, I, and, and I think in the end, I was a good dad. Did I make mistakes? Sure, we all do. You know, I, you know, I'm not always going to get it right 100% of the time, but I'm fucking awesome as a dad. So there. Uh, <laughs> um, but 
where the Kevin Hart character is coming from, you know, I can I, I could buy into his story and I could buy into his self-doubt and I can buy into this. Uh, you know, he's got the mother-in-law telling him you're not really equipped to handle this child. And, you know, he's already coming from a broken home. So he doesn't have great models uh, guiding him. And then he's in a situation where there are a lot of arrows sort of pointing him away from the goal of like, he wants to be a dad for that child. He, you know, he, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Everclear song father of mine. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, you know, the whole song is about wanting to be a better dad than the dad that left him. And so that's where Kevin Hart's coming from. He's like, my, I, my dad was awful and I want, and if I, if nothing else, I'm going to be a better ch dad to this child just to prove, you know, just to prove it can be done. And, you know, because my dad was so shitty to me and, and I could buy into that and I could absolutely sympathize with it. This is a little hard for me to personally relate to. Um, as far as, you know, everything else with the movie, like there were definitely some scenes that made me cry. Um, I got very emotional a couple of different times. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the problem is, like, I've been on the other side of that, though. Like, I've been the one in the hospital over the last 10 years. Um, yeah. I've been the one that nearly died over the last 10 years. Um, and I don't know, you know, I know that my wife has said at times at, like, my worst, um, you know, yeah. <sighs> sometimes you wonder if things would be better, you know, a certain way. And I can kind of see, and you know, and I definitely related to him struggling with that. Um, you know, him saying like, Oh, I wish, I wish she were alive and I were dead. Um, the, uh, the bit in the hospital, that's what I wanted to talk about the bit in the hospital where he's like, I don't want you operating on my daughter because you guys don't know how to do anything. Right. I have almost yeah. literally said that at Moffat. <laughs> like yes. only about myself. Like, don't touch me anymore. You guys, every time you do, I get worse. Um <laughs> bit of a problem patient I've become. So, like, I I, I could get I, I could see where it was coming from. I think just sort of round this out and we can move the conversation on. The best part of the movie, I think you're right, is when he goes into that mom's group and he you know and he's got the colicky baby and she hasn't slept and so he hasn't slept and he's not getting a break because he has no one there to share the load with and so and he's just looking for someone to help him give him advice do something because he doesn't know what to do and he's so fixated on that one thing like he can't get the stroller to collapse i have absolutely been there where i can't figure out how to get the swing to work or the or the seat in the compartment or there's always some like baby thing where you're like i just need this one thing to work yeah and then uh, he says you know it, it comes out sometimes it's coming out and then sometimes <laughs> you just buckshot you you know <laughs> yeah that stuff never bothered me i it, first of all the, as soon as my as soon as lily was born she shit all over my wife so all, automatically there we were you know i was like all right we're good but I, I've never, I've never been squeamish with diapers and vomit and all of that. None of that stuff ever. Like I, I've, like that's always like a like a dad gag, you know. Where it's like, oh my god, baby poop and baby vomit. It's so gross. I'm like, oh, I don't care. That stuff never bothers yeah. me. Um, what do you think of? So, did you ever watch Gotham? Yeah, and I was going to say that I can't. <laughs> Like for the longest time, I I couldn't figure out where he was, where I noticed him from. Yeah, he's Victor Jones from he's Victor Jones yeah. from Gotham. And then I was like, you know, because the wife watched this with me, and she's like, he reminds me of one of those guys off of like either the X Files or a Fringe, <laughs> you know, who I'm talking about. I was like, yeah, I said I know you from somewhere. I know you from somewhere. And I was like, and then like, I, there was something he done, and I was like, I know him from Gotham. <laughs> I was like, he's us <laughs> from Gotham. I was like. <laughs> This is a this is a totally different light that I'm seeing him in because I liked him in Gotham. He played a good a good character in Gotham, but I, I liked him in this because he's that awkward friend that does not shut up, and like you put him in social situations and he doesn't know how to act. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else about fatherhood you wanted to talk about? I, I'm pretty sure I hit on everything that I wanted to on it. Okay. So I ended up liking Fatherhood. I think, um, yeah, it's definitely the best of the three that we watched. Uh, but I would say they were all somewhere in the low to high medium range. 
Like none of these were none of these were Nerdland. <laughs> none of these, <laughs> but none of these really hit that like above average meter either. They were all they were all on the low to high end of average. Would you say? Uh, I think I, I would put Fatherhood above average. And really, it seemed yeah. like. What about this movie is better is better than the average movie? Like other I said, than your the, personal relatability. Yeah, to that, it. that that's what I'm saying. I mean, okay, that's why I'm saying personally, I would put this okay. above average because okay. of the relatability I have to it. Uh, because I, like I said, I mean, it hit home especially. Okay, dealing with this week. Um, but like I said, I mean. It's it, it, we're this getting is, better on these. These are getting better. <laughs> this is for you. Fatherhood is to you what Falcon and the Winter Soldier was for me. You know where because of a because it touched me personally. There's something about it that resonated with me personally. I automatically elevated it beyond anything. You know where where it really where where it really might be. I was going to say this is not a three hour discussion. Uh, <laughs> argument, yeah, yeah. So. No, but there, but I, but like, I like stuff that's got a racial tinge to it. I like stuff that speaks to um, race in America. Right, go, know, ahead and, in go, ahead, go ahead and mention it because I know you want to, so everybody can check their bingo card off. Like, like the wire. Um, there, <laughs> there it is. So, but that's that's my point. Like, I and I think that's where the the the, the slight divide is on this is. Um, obviously it, it, it resonated with you emotionally. And so I think you're seeing you're, you're, uh, you're giving it more credit than I think it really deserves, but that doesn't mean it's in any way a bad movie. It's actually, it was a very nice, very enjoyable movie. I just thought it was very average. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is going to be like, like launched into the stratosphere of my top five movies, <laughs> uh, but it was enjoyable personal connection was there and like i said i mean if you're a kevin hart fan i definitely say i definitely suggest this movie just to see the other side of his acting capabilities because this came out he had he did two serious movies back to back he had the brian cranston movie and this one so mm -hmm. he is he is stretching his legs into the more serious roles so i and i definitely recommend you know, anybody that's, you know, on the fence, I highly recommend this movie just for the relatability. Yeah, for sure. All right. So that wraps up this uh, edition of Triple Feature. Tomorrow, Cole Marantet and I will be finishing up, speaking of which, our uh, Transformers War for Cybertron series of Kingdom. That's out on Netflix now. We'll do our review for it. Also, myself and Alexis Haina. Audio only because she will be on the road. We'll be reviewing um, my my second to last source material as a host. Yay! I'm finally done with this. Uh, we'll be doing vote Loki. Alexis Hain and I will also be reviewing Free Guy. Um, we'll be doing uh, a whole bunch of us are getting together to review Loki the series, and then finally Alexis Haina finishing out all of her duties for the week with me. We will be finally looking at parts one and two of the Long Halloween. Uh, other triple features, as previously mentioned, Jason and I did America the Motion Picture, Team America World Police, and the aforementioned Nerdland. Um, Jesse Starcher and I did uh, three new releases ourselves. We did um, Gunpowder Milkshake, No Sudden Move, and The Misfits. Speaking of, I always, like, like if I pick three, if I get to pick all three of these, there's always one that sucks. Like, don't think I just do it to you. I did it to Jesse, too. I, I was like, hey, man, I want to review these three movies. He's like, great. And it was literally two out of three. <laughs> the, the, the Misfits was awful. Um, and then myself, and then we kicked it off. Myself and Sean and I actually did uh, one for three uh, video game movies. We did um, Werewolves Within, Tekken, and Hitman, the, the first Hitman movie. So if you like this triple feature, the survey of movies that we do, there's a few to be had, and there'll be more along the way. We've got one for some Scooby-Doo movies that are coming up. Uh, we've got one for some Westerns when Cry Macho comes out. So, you know, triple feature is around to stay, and uh, we'll be doing more of these as time goes on. So, Jason, I hear you've got uh, some stuff of your own coming up. You've got your you've got your podcast that they pay you for, Hotsy Totsy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so definitely quick, a few quick plugs. Um, 
definitely check out me uh, and Tyler on Second and Short Podcast. You can find us on all your favorite media platforms, as well as TikTok, um, Instagram, Facebook, you know, wherever you can. Just type in Second and Short Pod. You know, we resurrected the aforementioned my, where I got my Prodigal Son debut, uh, the Cheap Seats uh, mantra, uh, where we discuss all things fantasy football. Coming up September 4th, uh, if anybody's listening that is an NFL fed, we are looking for contestants to uh, partake in a NFL trivia in you know, anticipation of the 2021 NFL season kicking off September 9th. And just another quick plug, if you do like NFL stuff and everything, Definitely go over, check out the kickoff on the W2M network. Uh, if you like your news and notes, definitely check out that podcast. I used to be a member of, highly recommend it. All right, folks, I want to thank Jason for joining me tonight. He will, you will see him again soon. I know he's got a Carnage comic book podcast coming up when Venom eventually gets released, if it ever gets released. So you'll see him there and a bunch of, and he'll be on the Candyman review. So, We're not done with you yet, Jason. Until then, be well, be safe, and behave.